0: Ephesians chapter 4. Last time we were looking at the, the different things that we are to, to be different as far as uh, from, from the Gentiles. We know the Gentiles operate in a certain way. And we're not supposed to operate the same way that the Gentiles operate. We're supposed to operate in a different way. And so Paul gives us some of the things that we need to, to see about that. Some of the things that we need to operate in and, and to begin to walk in. And so we were over here in Ephesians 4, and we've been working our way on through this. Uh, in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in testifying, the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. And so that's the areas that we have covered before. And we see that he goes on from there. He says, therefore, therefore what? On the basis of that you have put off the old man and you have put on the new. On the basis of this, we should be putting away lying. So he goes on, therefore, therefore, putting away lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Now, there's a couple of things in, in this. That um, first off, we had to put away lying. And the, what are some of the reasons that we lie? Well, generally, as I put it, anyway, as I think on this thing, it's it is easier than the truth. We tell lies because it's easier than the truth. It's either easier; it gets us out of the moment of a longer explanation. It's easier than taking the rap. It's easier than telling what we really think. It's easier than a a whole lot of things. But therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Now, the way he phrases this, it almost sounds like the truth we should speak would also include the Word. You know that sometimes we can be lying about situations by not telling people what the Word says? Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members... Of one another. Now we've learned before that we're just supposed to be slow to speak, slow to wrath, slow to anger. Well, if we're slow to speak, if we do, if we get that truth down. We get that that whole idea of being slow to speak. <coughs> it's a, it, it makes this a little bit easier because sometimes we're too quick to speak. Sometimes we talk a little bit too fast. Mm-hmm. Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So, since we have let go of the old man, we've put on the new. The first thing he's, uh, he's, he's saying after the therefore, therefore based on all this, put away lying. Apparently, it's pretty important for it to be at the top of the list. This is something that we need to do. We need to think about it every time that we're about to open up our mouth. Is this the truth? Is this really what's going on? Am I saying this? What's true and what's not, and, and you know, sometimes we may even get the idea: well, if I speak the truth, they're not going to hear it. And that may very well be true, but don't don't take don't take up lying. Sometimes they may just have to say, well, you know, there there might be more on that than you're thinking about, and just let them go with that. <laughs> maybe they can't handle what it all all that uh, is entailed on that subject, and well, there, maybe we maybe there's just some more than what you're actually seeing on that. Because I'm sure we lie about a whole lot more than just, you know, whether we like somebody's dress or different things of that nature. There's other things we can begin to take up, lying. And we're not always just lying to protect ourselves. Just because I'm covering up something that I did. That's not always, that is certainly a motivation for lying, but that's not the only thing that's going to, that we're going to pick up with on that. There's other things beside that as well. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There should be no sin, no weight that we let easily ensnare us, lying or any other sin. We need to make sure that we... No, no, it's not, it's not truth. If it's not truth, I'm not going to speak it. Because if we get into the habit of speaking things that are not truth, what happens when we want to just speak the truth? Well, we've got in the habit of not speaking the truth. Let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. There are some sins that easily ensnare us, but we have put off the old man. We have put on the new man. The new man is powerful enough because he, our mind has been renewed. Our, the new man is powerful enough that there is nothing in our old character that we cannot overcome. Now, thank God, even if we don't overcome it, we're still saved. <laughs> but because we are saved, and that's what he's writing about this, because you are saved, because you, you have put on the new man, you should get rid of these things. They shouldn't be part of your character. They shouldn't be part of what's going on with you. He goes on in verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. So it's okay to Be angry. It's not okay to sin. So, obviously, all anger is not sin. Otherwise, he'd just say, don't be angry. (laughs) So, it's okay sometimes to be angry. But what can we be angry about? And I think this is what gets Christians all confused. We're not sure what we're supposed to be angry about. I know I can, but I'm not sure what. What? I can be angry about. And so, since it's not as well defined with us, we're not quite sure what we can, we sometimes step into the wrong areas of what we're angry about. And and don't understand that uh, we sinned. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, some people have, have uh, interpreted this second part to say, well, don't go to bed angry. That's not what it said. They never said that. It said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Did not say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Notice that there's two different words. There's a difference between the two words. Be angry and do not sin. So how is it that I can be angry and yet not sin? Well, if there's no for us to understand that, how about if we understand how to be angry and sin? that's probably an easy one for us to get a hold of, right? How can we be angry and sin? And generally, when we think about this, uh, being angry and sinning, it's if we get angry at people. How many of you have ever been angry with your parents when you were kids, growing up, got angry at parents because they did something you didn't like? That's probably not right. How many times have we gotten angry at God? What do you think about that? Did the children of Israel get angry at God? Was God ever okay with it? (laughs) Did the children of Israel get angry at Moses? Was God okay with it? Did they get angry at Aaron? Was God okay with it? Nope. Be angry and do not sin. Was Jesus ever angry? Well, if we just take a study of what Jesus was angry at, then we get an idea of what we can be angry at and what we... Should not be angry at. Jesus, when he came into the temple, of course, that's the biggest time we saw him angry. What was he angry at? Turning the, the misuse of God's house, turning God's house into uh, uh, then a thieves. Then a thieves. Now, it was people who did it. But he. it seems, as we read that story, that he's angry at what they did. When he's angry with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, He's angry at what they are doing to the people. He's not angry at them. He's angry at what they're doing. Now, there are times that Paul eventually took that anger and eventually he was angry at an individual. He was angry at someone. And he named some people. Don't let them knew you. Don't let these guys know that these, these guys are bad. And it may eventually get into that. Now, during the book of Revelation. God pours out His wrath upon who? People who are on the earth. He pours out His wrath. And it it uses the word wrath. It does not use the word anger. It it says wrath. Wrath is generally directed at people. Anger is generally directed at actions. But wrath... I'm not saying that all the time. But for the most part, wrath is directed at people, whereas anger is directed at what people do, their actions. Be angry and do not sin. When that anger turns into wrath directed at the person, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Does that make a little more sense, what he's saying? Because sometimes, you know, we've been angry at some things and we've gone to bed. And it didn't seem to hinder our prayer life at all. <laughs> you can be angry at some of the things that people do. But you're not mad at the people. You're mad at the actions that they do. Eventually, it can get to a point where, you know, you know like uh, some politicians. You, you know, I've talked to you about some politicians. For a while, I can get angry at what they do. Because they're doing something against people. But after a time, for me it turns into wrath where I know these guys are not doing this ignorant. They know what they're doing and they did it because it made them money and they didn't care about who it hurt and they pass it off as something else. And then I'm generally angry at the individual. But there are sometimes you know, politicians make mistakes, do stupid things and, well, I didn't mean to hurt people with this or I didn't mean for that thing to crash the way it did or fall apart the way it did or not work out the way it did. But other times, yeah, they knew exactly what they were doing. But they were making money on it. And so they wanted to keep it going. I put this in your outline Love sinners, hate sin. We've got to love the sinners, but we can hate the sin. But there's eventually we, we, we find a, a certain type of people that are not content just to be sinners. They want to bring other people into the sin too. And that can sometimes stir up some wrath on the inside of us. I know it stirs it up for God. God gets wrath. And after a while He says, Alright, I'm going to pull my church out and now you're all going to get it. I'm going to pour my wrath out upon you all for what you have been doing, for what you have done. And here, take it. In Matthew chapter 7, It says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Or how can we say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not Give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Now we a lot of people and we've talked about judging before, and you all have a pretty good handle on on what judging is, but a lot of people take this idea and they try and, and pass this off on other folks that we are not to judge. We are to judge. But we are called to judge sin. We are called to judge actions. I can tell you that what you're doing is wrong. I can't tell you that why you're doing it is wrong. I can't tell you what your motivation is. But I can tell you that what you're doing is not right. Because we can look at it. It, The Bible says this, you're doing this. Quit it. Because it's going to hurt you. It's going to hold you back. It's not going to help you. The Bible says, thou shalt not. Do not do. Do not go there. Whatever it is. And we try and help them out with that. But in order for that to happen, I have to judge the sin. I have to judge what the person is doing. But don't step into the role to judge the person. We cannot necessarily judge motivations. Now, I can judge motivations if you reveal them. If you tell me, well, the reason I did that is because I hate them. Okay, now I can judge that. (laughs) You told me what it was. You revealed it. And so now we can deal with that. I can judge motives, but I can't assume the motive and pass judgment on it. That's wrong. I'm not, I I, I think I put this in mine. I don't know if I put it in yours. But um, judge sin, not people. Judge actions, not motives. We're called to judge sin. Paul teaches us in Corinthians. He said, for what are we to do with judging those outside the church? Judge those inside the church and purge the evil from amongst yourselves. Well, you can't do that if you don't pass judgment and it's sin. The Word of God says that if you see a brother in sin, restore him. Help him out. Uh, In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Be tempted. In order for me to do that, I have to first off understand that it's a trespass. That it's a sin. I gotta judge that it's a sin. But some people, some Christians are going around judging the sin as if they are superior. I would never do that. And that's wrong attitude. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you, who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Now, this spirit of gentleness is not one that once I judge a person in sin, that I then go and, and tell brother and sister so-and-so about it and how I helped them out and how if it wasn't for me, <laughs> that's, that's not right. That's a wrong motivation. And you yourself will be judged because you have not been considering yourself. You're not in the spirit of gentleness. That's not what's going on with you. You got into a spirit of pride. Well, look who I am. I'm better than they are and I helped them out. Oh, dear Lord, we, need, we shouldn't want to do this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any, any trespass, don't matter which one it is, anyone, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So, first off, you've got to determine that what they are doing is wrong. And then you've got to step on in and help it. Now, just because the person is doing something wrong doesn't gener- doesn't mean that I have the right to be angry. But when I begin to see how that action is hurting other people, that anger might rise up inside me. But other than that, why in the world are you angry? Is it hurting you? If they're not hurting anyone else, they're only hurting themselves, why are you angry? Well, they've inconvenienced me. I've got to go and take care of this again. Oh, no, that's wrong. You know, if you have selfish motivations for your anger, then when he says, be angry and do not sin, well, you, you're blowing it right there. You cannot have selfish motivations for anger. There is no reason for you to be angry. You can't say, well, I've got a right to be angry. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know, in all this debate we've had going on in this country about what rights people have. Do they have a right to own a gun? Do they have a right to health care? Do they have a right to a job? Do they have a right to make so much money? Do they have a right to a car? Do they have a right to a house? We've had all these kind of issues issues. And things like that. And, and pretty soon, we have blurred the line of what is a right and what is a privilege. We've blurred that line. Because now, all of a sudden, we got the idea that everyone should own a home. That's their right. That everyone should have a good-paying job. That's their right. It's not their right. If you want a good-paying job, what do you do? you got to work hard. you got to get the education that you need. you got to get the training that you need. You've got to be willing to start in the ground level and work your way on up. You've got to be faithful. But a lot of people have gotten the idea that this isn't so. There's a, there's a publication. Oh, what was this book? I, I can't think of the name of the book. But they go on through and, and just list some, a whole lot of government wasteful spending. I didn't, I mean, I've read things that they've done before. I didn't know nearly as much. But apparently the U.S. Post Office has a, uh, has a room in which a certain number of people, a certain number of thousands of people per day have to go and sit in the room and do nothing and get paid. So that they're not out there doing work and, and lessening the, the amount of work that is there to be done. They just have to report to the room, sit in there and get paid. And we wonder why the post office is losing money. You, I heard one person, they put it, they, they made it real, real clear. You do not have a right to anything that infringes upon another person to provide it. That's not a right. Maybe it would be a good idea that everybody could own a home. Maybe it would be a good idea that everybody could have a good paying job. But you know what? There's a lot of lazy people out there. There's a lot of people who get a home and don't want to make the payment. There's a lot of people who get a home and don't want to take care of it. They don't deserve one. There's not a right to these things. These are things that that we attain and that we work for. The right to free speech. That's one of the things that we put in our Constitution. The right to free speech. Well, my free speech doesn't... You don't have to do anything to provide for it. It doesn't cost you any money. The right to, for freedom of worship. That doesn't cost you any money. I don't need you to provide me anything in order to have my freedom of worship. So it's a right. A right is anything that is mine that I don't need you to provide for me. They're, they're, as, our, as our founders put it in there, these are things that God gave us, the right to life. God gave us that life. And I don't have, no one else has the right to take it away. That's murder. So we've, we've, we've clouded the line between rights and privileges, between things that are inherent for every person and things that we attain. Things that we we work our life to to uh, to get and to build up on. Don't ever get into this 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 thing that well I've got a I've got a right to these things. And just just we just people just throw this thing out all the time. Well I got a right to this. Well I should have that. We have to make sure that when we go around and we restore people who are in sin, that we keep ourselves. In a place, the spirit of gentleness. It is not my right to correct people. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that I attain to because I've grown in the things of God. And I've been able to discern what is right and what is wrong. And I've grown in my ability to present that to people in such a way that they can hear it. And I know when to keep my mouth shut. I can restore someone, help someone, get better on the thing and, and not tell anybody else about it. Well, I was better than they were. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, they're overtaken by the thing. Don't be sitting there thinking, well, I'm so much better than they are. No, they're overtaken in a trespass. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. We're never going to get ourselves to a place where we won't be tempted anymore. The devil always wants to come out and tempt us. Not all things are are a temptation to us, but the devil wants to tempt us. He wants to get us to fall into things. And certainly pride is one of those things he wants to get us to fall into. Don't get into the area of pride. You are not better than anyone else. God loves you. God loves them. Let's help get them back into the place that they should be at. And help them out with the thing. Now he says here, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. If your anger has risen up to a point where it is wrath directed at a person, get that under control before you go to bed. Get that under control. You don't need to be having this wrath out towards towards people. Be angry at the sin. If you have anger that is rising up in a judgment sort of way towards a person because they have become pernicious in their evil, trying to pull other people into it, then get over there, get in the face of that person and deal with them. But be done with this thing. Don't be going to bed mad at this person all the time because that is just a breeding ground for the devil to do stuff. And to pull you into a place of pride, and pull you into a place where you can, be, you can fall yourself. And he doesn't want that to happen. So, verse 26. Be angry. And do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. The word there for place is the Greek word tapas, which means ground. We get our word topography from it. So it means basically this. Once you have taken ground in in the area of conduct that he's been talking about, once you take ground, once you get a handle on anger once you get a handle on some of the actions that he was talking about it here, once you get them under control and the new man has taken over, the old man, you put that thing off, the new man has come in there. Once you have taken ground, don't give it back. Don't give ground to the devil. Once you take it, it's yours. Don't give it back. Because you know, it's, how many of you all know when the devil got a hold of you, when you were overcoming a trespass? When, when he kept having, he, he just had his way with you in his area. That was tough. And maybe somebody else came along and helped you get overcome that thing. They saw you were overtaken in a trespass and they restored you. They helped you out with that. And once you take that ground, don't give it back. Don't give it back. Don't say, well, I'm just going to let that I'm just mad at God. I'm mad at people. I'm just going to go ahead and do that thing. No. <laughs> don't do that. The devil loves that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get mad at God. Get mad at people. Give me that ground back. Once you're taking ground in your conduct, don't give it back. Hang on to it. Hang on to that ground like this is something that means something to me. Oh, this, this is precious to me. I, I labored to put off that old man, to put on the renewing of the new man. I'm not giving that back now. Mm-mm. I'm going to hang on to that. I put this in your outline too. When you get into wrath or anger towards people, you will find yourself giving ground. When you get into the area of wrath, this is wrath or anger directed at people, you will find yourself giving ground. This is a breeding ground for the devil. If he can get you in a place where you can be angry at someone to the point that it has become Wrath, then your thoughts begin to go in a direction not real good. And that becomes a breeding ground for things. And then what happens when your thoughts begin to go in, an ex- in a direction of wrath towards a person? What eventually begins to come out of your mouth? Angry words. Got angry words, got angry thoughts. You've got angry words and they begin to come out of your mouth and pretty soon you're talking with coworkers, you're talking with family members and all of a sudden out of your mouth comes all this anger that you've had towards this person. You've put words on it now. Oh, now you've let it go. Before it was just inside and it was just thoughts. Now all of a sudden you let it go and other people heard it. And what do other people do with that sort of stuff? (laughs) They begin to talk to other people. And eventually those angry words that you spoke, what happens to them? they come all the way on back and they begin to do some damage to relationships, begin to do some damage to some fellowships. When you get into wrath towards people, you find yourself giving ground to the devil. And then, once, you have, once those words begin to come back on around, maybe you've long since repented, and said, oh, I shouldn't have been saying that, all, and you repented yourself, but once they come on back and that person finds out, what are you doing saying this kind of stuff? What do you mean by that? Pretty soon, and, and this is a way that you can go. You can begin to go in such a way as to justify the reason that you said those things. And once you do that, now you're, now I've justified it, and now I got to stand on it. And once, and the devil is just taking ground back on. And and now it's going to be really tough for you to, to, to get that back again, and that relationship is being destroyed. Be real careful with this sort of stuff. Don't let your the sun go down on your wrath. Get rid of it. You don't need to have anger directed at people in that way. Turn it over to God. Say, Father God, I thank you. They may have meant something evil towards me. They may have meant something evil towards someone else. But I thank you, Father God, that whatever the evil they intended towards me, it won't come back on me. It'll come back on them before it'll come back on me. And I thank you, Father, that you have only good things in store for me. And Blessings. And whatever vicious words it is that they say, whatever things they've done, I thank you that they, they won't hold water. They, they won't gain ground with anybody because they'll see my character. They'll see who I am. And in the end, the truth will come out. And just keep on walking along with that. And then the words out of your mouth will be out of that grace. Will be out of that love. We'll be out of that kind of and that's a whole lot better. The devil doesn't have a breeding ground there. He can't do what he wants to do in that atmosphere. but if he can get you wrathful towards the person because of what they said, because of what they did, how unjustified they were, how unrighteous it was for that to come upon you, you don't deserve that. You've been better than this, and all this sort of stuff. You're giving ground to the devil. Don't give ground to the devil. Then he goes on in verse twenty eight. Let him who stole, steal no longer. (laughs) Well, that sounds like good advice, huh? (laughs) Let him who stole, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. This verse is just has volumes of truth in it. That too often we can skip on by and just not even not even look at it. Let him who stole. Steal no longer. You know, people that go out there and they steal from others generally are not generous people. You'll find that. They are not generous people because they're stealers. They want to steal what others have. Therefore, they don't want to give to others because their motivation is to steal. They begin to get this idea that whatever other people have, I deserve it. I should have it. you got no right for that. I should have it. you got this and that and that and this and that. And you shouldn't have all that and me not have it. I, now, so I need to go out there and take it from you. And of course, we've done this even in our political circles because we have authorized the government to steal from others to give to us. <laughs> because we'd rather not go out and work. Not talking about you people here. Other people. They'd rather not go out and work. They'd rather have the government go and take from all these other folks and then give it to me. That's the wrong attitude. And I tell you, we've, I mean, I've told you before in these things, a lot of these politicians who are so into, well, we need to tax the rich. We need to take from the rich. They shouldn't have so much money. Anyone who's making this much money, that's just more money than they should have. Once they start getting into that, you examine their records because they've examined others. And you will find out that these very people do not give their own money to any organization, to any territory, charity. They give yours. They don't give their own. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. This is the idea that God has. Go out there and work for the, your money. Work hard for your money. And when you work hard for your money, and then you find a need, you find someone, your heart rises up and you say, oh, I want to give into this, And what are you giving? What you worked for. Not what someone handed you. What you worked for. That's the attitude. That's what, you, what God wants to generate. And that's a different type of thing with, with folks. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Oh, we need to get into this mentality. Get into the mentality to give something to him who has need. There's always someone who is more needy than we are. Now, of course, we have needs. How many of you all know? We have needs. We've got stuff we need. We've got things that are going on in our own life that we need. But there's someone out there who has a greater need than you do. And what he's saying is, get out there and get a job. Get out there and work And when you do, and money comes to you from that work, then begin to look around and find something. This is the first thing he tells them to do. He's not even talking about paying stuff and buying stuff and providing stuff. He says, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. This is important. This is part of the new man, too. The new man wants to give to those who have need. But there is no benefit in taking what is someone else's, To give to someone who has need. There's only benefit in when you go out and you work for it and you earned it and then you give what you have to someone who has need. Not stealing, but working. Leading to giving. People who take from others don't usually give. Then he goes on in verse 29. So first off he says, Let him who stole, steal no longer. No more stealing. Instead, working and giving. That's basically what it wants. No more stealing. Working and giving. That's what we want to have. Work, give. Work some more, give some more. Work some more and give some more. Just keep working and giving. Working and giving. Not working, 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 working. But working, giving. Working, Giving. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, no corrupt communication, but edification. No stealing, but working and giving. No corrupt communication, but edification, leading to the giving of grace. He's in the giving here. I want you to be able to go out and attain something so that you can take what you have obtained and give. Give what you have gone out to obtain. No corrupt communication, but edification. That it may impart grace to the hearers. So what he's saying is, if I let corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth, what happens to the hearers? No grace. I don't bestow any grace upon them, do I? But if it's edification, then what happens to the hearers? Grace. I become a giver of grace to those who hear my words of edification. So when someone comes to you and say, hey, did you hear the dirt on brother or sister so-and-so? Instead of, instead of corrupt communication, I engage in edification. Well, do you really know that that's be true? Did you go and talk to brother or sister, so-and-so? Maybe you ought to go talk to them and find out if that's even so before you go talk to other people about it. Check it out. I know brother or sister, so-and-so. You know what? They've been this and they've been that. And Character of God is this way in them. Edification. When I do that, I impart grace to the hearer. Changes things. Have you ever noticed that when corrupt communication is going on, that something odd is passed on? It's not grace. But something else is passed on. When you get around people and they just want to you know, talk about off-color jokes and, and things that just are you know, nasty character, there's no grace there. Ah, oh, this is empty. But you get around people and all I keep saying is, is good things, edifying things, building up other people, Oh, brothers, sister souls. all oh, they're just wonderful to be around. All oh, and the way that the Word of God works and just speaking good things and imparts grace to the hearers. And then he goes on in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you think that verse 30 has anything to do at all with verses 29 and 28 and the ones that were before that? More than likely. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Well, if we take the context that is here, corrupt communication would grieve the Spirit of God. So, can you imagine this? We bring the Holy Spirit with us wherever it is that we go. And we go in and we engage in corrupt communication. And we look over... If we could see him. Holy Spirit is grieved. grieved, grieved. He's not happy. This is not good. We don't like. We don't like this. Is he's grieved? Doesn't like this kind of thing going on. I mean, there are a number of things that can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, just just think of a baseball coach on the sideline. And the empire is not calling strikes. What does that do? Grieves the coach. And you can see it on his face, right? And then he comes out and he does not embark in edifying conversation. He's grieved. (laughs) There are things that we can do that grieve the Holy Spirit. One of them would be corrupt communication. Another would be not working with your hands but taking what belongs to other people and then keeping it all for yourself. He wants you to go out there and work with your hands and then give. Apparently, he gets excited about that. The Holy Spirit gets excited about these kind of things. About not giving place to the devil, not giving ground back to the devil. What's the Holy Spirit say? All right. This is good. So if I give ground back to the devil, what happens to the Holy Spirit? He's grieved. (laughs) <laughs> these are these are things that grieve the Holy Spirit we need to begin to think that our helper the one who goes along with us to be our helpmate to go along and to be there and, and involve himself in our battles if he's grieved this isn't good we want to have a partner in these things who's not grieved don't involve ourselves in corrupt communication don't give place to the devil Go out there work with our hands. Find places to give. Don't be stingy with what we get. I'm not giving what belongs to other people. I'm giving what belonged to me. I earned it. Well, we put this in your outline. The words you speak, the words you speak grieve the Holy Spirit. They can grieve the Holy Spirit. If they're words of corrupt communication. If they're words of edification, obviously that would be the opposite effect of grieving, wouldn't it? How about the judgments we render? How about when we're standing around and we, we render judgment upon people instead of actions? Holy Spirit says, that's not your job. That's, that's not your job. You're not supposed to be doing that. That's not your area of involvement. You know, just think about it. The Phillies go out and they take the field. And Ryan Howard, great baseball player. Does all kinds of nice things in there. But a Ryan Howard goes up to, to Roy Holiday and says, Roy, I want to pitch this in you. Will you cover first? No, 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 no. No, stay in your place. Get over there in first base. That's where you need to be. Over there in first base. And and hitting the ball. The words that you speak, the judgments that we render. Don't don't get out of line. It is God's place to judge people. It is our place to judge their actions. Let God judge the people. We don't have to do that. It isn't our place. We don't need to take them off the pitcher's mound. We don't need to take them out of the coach's box. We need to do what our role was. What do you want me to do? I want you to play first base. Alright, I'll play first base. And we don't need to go out there and do anything else. That's our that's our spot over there. He then says in verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, this verse is talking about both sins of thought and of action. It is talking about sins of thought and of action. Sins of thought are different than sins of action. But generally, sins of thought become sins of action. Not always. But that's where they generally start, in the thoughts. Now, just to help you break this down, I saw this broken down this way, and I just brought it over here for you. Bitterness is an inner hatred of another. We can understand that, can't we? If I am bitter towards someone, on the inside, I have a bitter hatred towards that person. An inner hatred. On the inside of me, it just comes up. I'm bitter. If I remember the person's name is mentioned, it has a bad taste in my mouth. It's Bitter. Wrath is an outward display of bitterness. When I take that bitterness that I feel, that I suppressed, but now I have an outward display of it where people can see it. That's wrath. Anger. An inward hostility toward another. Anger is an inward hostility toward another. Not talking about anger towards things, because we're allowed to be angry towards things that people do, but the anger towards people. Again, what's he say here? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor... Now, if he said before, be angry and do not sin, he's not talking about all anger has to be removed from your life. But the wrong kind of anger, the kind of anger that is sin, needs to be removed. And that anger is anger that we direct at people, not their actions. So, anger, an inward hostility toward another. I get actually hostile towards them. Now, before bitterness is an inner hatred of another, anger is an inner hostility toward another. Clamor is the outward display of anger. Wrath is the outward display of bitterness. So, you have bitterness and then wrath. You have anger and then clamor. Clamor can result in fistfights. It's an outward display of an inward hostility, right? (laughs) Inwardly, I'm hostile to that person. When I begin to bring it outward, (laughs) that's clamor. So, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, don't need much definition on that, do we? Critical words of another that started as thoughts, spoken out. So, I begin to start, I start off with these things, I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about all the things that this person should do, should not do, should, How what they have done towards me. I'm, I'm thinking about this. Why did they say that? Why are they thinking these things? And I begin to go over and over and over it. And pretty soon, the words that I'm thinking, I have an opportunity. Somebody says, what do you think about brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so? Oh, I don't know what I ever did to, to them. But... And then we begin to come out with the thoughts that we have. No, no. If you don't have the bitter thoughts, the critical thoughts, then you don't generally have the evil speaking. Don't let yourself go off on that. If people have something against you, well, let them have something against you. You just go on. (laughs) You don't have to have something against them to counterbalance it, to counteract it. Glory to God, just go on. If they want to have something against you, well, that's on them. Father God, I'm just going to do what You said in Your Word. I'm going to put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. I'm going to put it away from me. I don't need it. It's extra baggage. It's stuff I don't need to to, to be carrying along. You know, if you get into any kind of exercise at all, you all know the less weight you carry, the better. Now, Now, truthfully, I don't fully understand that because the idea of exercise is to have you know strenuous activity, so the heavier the more strenuous the more benefit right? He <laughs> would think that, but no now we've got all kinds of you know app- apparel and clothing, and it's all light lightweight, and this is good, we like lightweight now I understand you know you're playing the game, you're in the baseball game you're in the football game, you're in the track meet, you're in the uh, whatever it is that that you could possibly do and I understand in the game lightweight is good i can understand that but in the practice you know maybe a little weight ought to be good <laughs> but that's not how we do it we got lightweight all the time whatever you can do you know just light lightweight get rid of all the stuff that's that's holding you back well, get rid of bitterness. Get rid of wrath. Get rid of anger. Get rid of clamor. Get rid of evil speaking. You don't need all this stuff weighing you down. It is holding you back. Holding you back. And if you get rid of this, you will find yourself, oh, life is just so much better. It's just so much lighter. Because I'm not involved in evil speaking, so thy words give grace. I have grace words. How much better it is for you if you are giving out grace words than words that are not. Oh, it's so much better. Put it away. It's up to you. You can do it. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. It's up to you. You can get rid of it. You can put it away. You don't have to hang on to these things. It's the same way that if you're going to go out and exercise, however it is, you take the change out of your pocket. You get rid of your wallet. You change the type of shoes that you're wearing, the kind of coat that you're wearing if it's if it's cold outside. You get something that's more appropriate for what you're what you're doing. In the same way, get rid of these things. These things aren't going to help you out. In verse 32, and be kind. Now, all right, we're, here's all the things we need to get rid of. <laughs> Get rid of all this sort of stuff. Now, what are you supposed to do? And be kind to one another. Who would that be? They're the same. Be kind one to another. Be kind to one another. So if you see someone, ask yourself this. Are they another? If the answer is yes, then what should you what should your response be? Kind. Kind. Just ask yourself, are they another? If they are another, we are kind. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. You engage in evil speaking, anger, and bitterness. Is there tender-heartedness there? No. We are not tender-hearted. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another forgiving one another. This is the attitude we have. Kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. What's forgiving me? It means I stay in an attitude of forgiveness. They, they did something wrong. They wronged me in some way. I stay in an attitude of forgiveness. If they come up and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I missed that. What do we say? Well, I'm not sure if I want to forgive you yet. Oh, we missed it on there. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted to who? One another. Forgiving to one another. one another. If there are another, we need to be this way. Just as God in Christ forgave you. So in the same way that Jesus Christ forgave you, what should you do? Forgive. So you just ask yourself, would God forgive me of this? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> if I came and asked God to forgive me for doing this, would He do it? Yes. So what should I do? Forgive. Be tender hearted. Be kind to one another. And we if we allow ourselves to get into a place where we're not kind to one another, what's what's generally the motivation, what's generally the reason that's going on, on the inside of us that keeps us from being kind? Is put away what? All bitterness. Wrath, anger. Isn't it bitterness that comes up that keeps us from being kind? I'm bitter at something. They have something. They got something. They took something. I think something. And bitterness comes up and it keeps me from wanting to be kind. So if I put away bitterness, is there, an op- is there a roadblock now? So if I'm not going to be kind, it's probably because I haven't put some of these things away. If I'm not tender hearted, I got some hostility there, there's probably some anger I'm hanging on to. If I'm not forgiving, there's probably some evil speaking that I've been doing, or at least evil thinking. You know what? I bet you they, they, meant, they did that on purpose. I bet you they did because they want this. They want me out of the way. They want me to do this. We begin to get this evil thinking going on. And then when they come in, they say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And they ask for forgiveness. And we, inside, I don't want to do it. Why? Because i got this evil thinking going on. It may not have resulted in evil speaking, but it also may have. These things will keep you back from it. Get rid of the bitterness, get rid of the anger, get rid of the evil speaking. You get rid of the bitterness, you find out you get rid of the wrath. You get rid of the anger, you get rid of the clamor. You get rid of the evil thinking, you get rid of the evil speaking. And if you do that, you will find that there are no roadblocks to being kind, to being tenderhearted, and to being forgiving. In the transition from the old man to the new man will be complete. That's your transition. That's where we go. Here's the things of the old man the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the evil speaking. Here's the traits of the new man kind, tender hearted, forgiving, not grieving the Holy Spirit, not having corrupt communication come out of our mouth, but good communication for what is useful for edification. Imparting what? Grace. I go out and I work to earn money. To have something to give. So working makes me a giver. Edification makes me a gracer. (laughs) And this is where we need to be at. This is the new man. The new man is a giver. The new man is one who imparts grace. The new man is tender hearted. The new man is kind. The new man is forgiving. That's who the new man is. There he is. There's his picture. That's where we're to be. And you can do it because we've put off the old man. We're being renewed in the spirit of our mind. And this is what we are called to. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. Here is the picture of the new man. This is who we are supposed to be. This is who we are supposed to become. Glory be to God. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. We are being renewed day by day by day. This is our image. This is what we're going for. Tender-hearted, kind, forgiving. Words of edification that bestow grace on the hearers. A worker who has things to give is a giver. Father, I thank you for the traits that are part of the new man. Oh, but for all the qualities of that new man. Oh, how good it is. How good it is to walk in this life as a new man. We're not affected by the things that are going on around us the way others are. Because we're part of you. We've been renewed in the spirit of our mind. Thank you for the help that you give us on this, Father, in Jesus' name.